San Diego's talk radio leader, 760 KFMB presents It's Your Money and Your Life. For the next hour, Richard Musio and Joe Vecchio will educate and inform you on matters related to your financial future, your life, and your leisure. Now, with It's Your Money and Your Life, here are Richard and Joe. All right, good morning. My name is Joe Vecchio, your co-host, announcer, and producer, coming to you from KFMB Studios with 50,000 watts of power. We're heard not just in San Diego County, but Orange County, L.A. County, up the coast of Seattle on a good night, down to Cabo, out to the desert. If you download the app for 760KFMB, you can hear us on any device as the show airs. We are free on iTunes if you search the title of the show, and all these podcasts are commercial-free on iymoney.com. And now time to introduce the main man of the hour. He's a CPA extraordinary. He's an accomplished marathon runner, best-selling author, philanthropist, and a family office expert advising several high with families. His name is Richard Musio. Good evening. How are you, Richard? Happy to be back from Hawaii. That's right. You were gone. So it was a great trip. Spent a few nights in Kona, then over to, which is on the big island, Hawaii, then went over to Oahu for a couple because Mary's moving her one of her tennis tournaments over to Honolulu the week of Thanksgiving. Oh, my gosh. She got a great deal from the Hawaii Tourism Board. How about that? But more on that later. And then back to Kona for a couple of nights before we headed on home. We had one hour of rain in seven days. How about that? So that was great. I thought it rained like every afternoon on one of those islands somewhere. Not where but, we were. Okay, well, good for you. Good for you. Well, anyway, welcome back. We Thanks. we labored. I had ten guests in here while you were laying on the beach last week. So. That's good. <laughs> yeah, you didn't need you needed well, my microphone. Put few, it that way. Yeah, a few were on few were on the phone too. But uh, okay. t- today only two guests. So and we'll get to them both VIPs running for office here in San Diego, and we'll get to them in a bit. But I just want to make one correction. We had Mike Slater on, who's the daytime host. Yes, here. we did. I did say that Marlboro was in the it was market a marijuana cigarette and um, I looked that up online and, and it was a hoax so I want to just correct that I thought they were the package the packaging looked really pre- pretty good but I think it was from Marlboro menthols and they were passing it off as somebody had doctored up the, the the label but anyway that's not true yet but I wouldn't be surprised uh, down the road and maybe we can talk to one our guests about his opinion on the, that too the legalization matter we're gonna do a show about that yeah, it's legal in Hawaii yeah is it really yeah did you see, like, go out to out to lunch and people on patios just puffing away, or people what? sit on? Well, you know, you have no smoking in hotels and so on. I mean, on pa- outside though. Yeah, no, you see people. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about that? Well, maybe you don't have to buy it. You just have to inhale. <laughs> I've never tried. I don't know. But anyway, uh, got a big election coming up in a couple of weeks. It's only two uh, weeks away. Yeah, so I don't want to digress too much because in studio we have uh, one of the illustrious candidates for city attorney, and I think there are five of them all together, but we have uh, Gil Cabrera, and um, welcome to the show, Gil. Thanks for having me. Good evening. Our pleasure. Our pleasure. So, look, we like to start with the bio on our guests, and uh, born and raised and, and educated, and then how you find your way to San Diego, et cetera. And I know you've got a, a, a long history here, so uh, go. <laughs> <laughs> on your mark. Get set. Uh, I'll give you the go, Gil, Reader's go. Digest version. Uh, born in New York, uh, raised in Huntington Beach, California, went to Cal State Fullerton for undergrad, and then Boston College for law school. There you go. I uh, was recruited out here for one of, to one of the uh, largest and oldest firms in the city, which was loose forward Hamilton's groups. Of course, uh, I heard of them. Yeah, okay. <laughs> they, well, they're not around anymore, sadly. But oh, really? Uh, they've been absorbed by the largest law firm in the world. Are they McKenna Long now? No, the, no, they, they were, were they were McKenna. Now they're Dentons. That's right. Now they're Dentons. Yeah, so now it's right. one of the largest law firms in the, yeah. in the world. Still, uh, still pumping lawyers into the into ju- judicial seats, though, right? Uh, that's it. that's that's the hope. Uh, yeah, but, uh, <laughs> yeah. It's it's still one of the best firms, uh, best thought of firms. And then after three years there, I was recruited to one of the larger national firms, Cooley Godward, up in the hmm. Bay Area. What kind of legal work did 
did you do there, though? Uh, at the beginning of my career, I did some real estate litigation and employment uh, litigation. And mm-hmm. then as my career progressed, I did much more sort of complex, large, uh, ugly business fights. Um, when I was at Cooley, I worked on some of the largest pieces of litigation in the country, billions of dollars at issue. I had a case mm. that went up to the California and the U.S. Supreme Court, actually. Hmm. Interesting. And then uh, the last eight years, I started my own practice, so smaller uh, firm. Uh, where I uh, ran the business and then helped uh, small and mid-sized businesses here in San Diego. A lot of entrepreneurs, a lot of folks that started their own companies. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, you also served in a lot of city uh, uh, commissions and things. Why don't you tell us about that? Sure. Over that time period, I did what I could to um, volunteer. My, As you know, my, my parents uh, immigrated here in the 60s uh, from Cuba, and so they started over, lived the American dream, and just always... Yeah, you've got some Asian and Cuban. I do, I know? do. Yeah, my <laughs> mom is half uh, Cuban, half Chinese, so I, I'm a bit of a mutt. Uh, but they always just just reminded me how amazing it was that we were able to come here and start over and live the American dream and to always give back. So I tried to do that whenever I could. So did she leave Cuba when uh, Castro came right in? After, about two years after Castro. How about that? Are, have you been able to go back? I have not. So they, my parents have gone back tw- uh, once, and uh, through miscommunications, they scheduled that trip in the middle of my second-year law school mm-hmm. finals, so I didn't get to go. But huh. uh, So my family's been back, but I haven't yet been wanting to go. But. Hopefully okay. in the next year or two. Okay, but tell us about your public service. Uh, where we sure. So I um, I first worked uh, with with some nonprofits, Make a Wish Foundation, was on their board of directors and on their national board of directors, and then I did a task force that reviewed the police department's use of force procedures. I chaired that uh, back in the early aughts, and then I mm-hmm. was on the ethics commission for five years, chaired it for two, mm. uh, and then most recently I was appointed to the uh, convention center board of directors in 2013, and I currently serve in the executive committee and chair the budget committee. And the family, what, how many children? Two little girls, six and eight, and uh, my wife of now 10 years, who is uh, also a lawyer in town. How about that? And then you were also on the LGBT uh, commission or something? Yeah, currently I serve on the LGBT community um, center board of directors. Outstanding. All right, so. Why, Why the interest in the city attorney's office? You know, a lot of it stems from the fact that I've, I, you know, owe so much to the city. I mean, I, I started my career here, met my wife here, our kids were born here. I love our city, I think, like most San Diegans do. And I also happen to really enjoy the practice of law and think I'm, I'm, I'm particularly good at it. And mm-hmm. so as, as it's one of those offices that allows me to serve the public but do what I love doing, which is mm-hmm. practicing law. And I think most San Diegans kind of understand how important it is that the mayor and the city council actually get good legal advice. We, we seem to fall by the wayside a lot on that front in, the, in our town. Talking so, about history? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little bit, a little bit. So we, we tend to get sued a lot in this yeah. town. I don't know exactly. Guys, I don't know if you guys have picked up on that. So uh, we've noticed. <laughs> yeah, so the, the primary function of the city attorney is to provide legal advice to the mayor and the city and defend them in lawsuits, like if someone slips and falls on a city sidewalk. Correct. So the, so, the, so the primary purpose of the city attorney's office is as the chief legal officer of the city. You are the lawyer for the mayor, the council, all city officials on any advice they need. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to go to you unless there's some sort of conflict. You also are the representative of the city in any lawsuit the city brings or any lawsuit the city is sued in. And then there's also a criminal division within the city attorney's office that does misdemeanor crimes within the city boundaries, which mm. are often you know, the, the ones that really affect quality of life, vandalism. Um, mm-hmm. We do a lot of, obviously, domestic violence. Cases that are important uh, and don't rise to the level of felonies, which are handled by the DA. Mm. Now, is there much, uh, we were talking about you have a spot running on domestic violence. Is that primary, Is that the exclusive domain of the city attorney, or can the DA get involved in that? Too? That's the county. Uh, do you guys ever collaborate on things, or is there crossover? Or they do collaborate. Um, depending on the level of the of the incident, is where it goes, um, and how many times the person's been you know prosecuted for it as well. But within the city attorney's office, twelve years ago, they were handling about seven thousand cases of domestic violence a year. 
Uh, it was a very big priority under Casey Gwynn. He mm -hmm. founded something called the Family Justice Center, which um, created a one-stop shop for victims of domestic violence. Today, they are handling about 2,500 cases of domestic violence. And I, I wish I could say it's because domestic violence has gone down, uh, but it's really about the priority um, of that issue. In the Is office. it a lack of resources or just... It's a lack of priority and a lack of resources, um, and, and those go hand in hand, right? It's, it's mm -hmm. how they've done it. About After Casey uh, Gwynn left, you saw the Family Justice Center, which was housed and operated really outside of the city attorney's budget, inside the city attorney's budget, sort of fall by the wayside. And because of all the budgetary cuts that happened over the next 12 years, they just never really uh, got their footing again. Hmm. Now, as far I think they did, didn't they have a um, innovate a domestic violence court uh, as well? Did that happen under Casey Gwynn? Correct. Too? Yeah. So they they had the domestic violence court. They had the family justice center. I mean, it was he did a lot of innovative steps, and really, San Diego was the model for how you deal with uh, domestic violence across the country. And he has since gone on to. Um, share that model and put it mm -hmm. in place in other counties and other uh, jurisdictions across the country. And I think we, I guess we should m just um, flow right into the drug court and and, the, and drug issues. And I guess th does the city get involved in, in drug offenses too? Or oh, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So we, we, you know, again, it's it's at the misdemeanor level. So it's the the entry level um, type things, and that's where these drug courts, the homeless courts. Uh, the domestic violence courts, the veterans courts, that's where you can make a big difference because you can, you know, you can really, folks that have perhaps entered the criminal justice system for the first time, mm -hmm. you can divert them away from it with the use of these courts where they have alternative sentencing. Yeah. So that I guess that's worked out to be successful in, in a lot of jurisdictions uh, as well. So it, it can be, and it's something that the city attorney's office is currently just now starting to roll out in a, in a more aggressive fashion, and we would push that harder. Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to get into um, some human, you know, human, human trafficking issue, and um, I guess uh, we'll talk about the department in general as well. So I'll be back with Gil Cabrera, running for city attorney, right after these words. Hang on. <laughs> oh my! How that's, dramatic! That's south of LA law. Yeah, yeah. south of LA. That's south of LA law. <laughs> but anyway, we're back with Gil Cabrera, running for city attorney. Good job, Justin. You got that quickly, didn't he? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I want to get into the human trafficking issue. I know it's coming to light now with at the county level with Diane Jacob and some of the great work uh, people like J.W. August are doing. And um, you know, it's it, a problem here, isn't it? I mean, we're hearing of cases now where gals are jogging by Point Loma Nazarene and jeeps are. are Guys jumping out of a van and trying to grab people. I mean, this is—it's getting crazy. But, but Joe, it goes—it goes well beyond that. It's, oh, it's, I, a, it's a very coherent and organized business. Well, well absolutely, it's—it's it's an, an organized business. It is huge in San Diego, in part because we're a border town as well. But right. It's, but it's also close to the port, close to the airport, close correct. to Mexico. But they're also recruiting from within the the city and and you know people that are at risk. One of the things that ties into the city attorney's office is the domestic violence piece that we've been talking about. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of people don't realize that a lot of these victims of human that get moved into human trafficking are people that are fleeing domestic violence situations, children that are fleeing domestic violence mm -hmm. situations. And so they tie in directly. Mm. The other thing is that um, Point Loma Nazarene did a study um, last uh, year where they analyzed all these um, domestic violence cases and they found that there was a lot of indications of human trafficking within those cases, but the police and uh, the prosecutors weren't trained uh, to sort of spot that yet. And so they were missing a lot of potential um, human trafficking matters as well. Mm-hmm. So you have a pretty big staff, what, 145 attorneys and 200 staff, you said, right? Yep. And 46 um, how, how big is the dollar budget again? $46 million. Oh, $46 million. Um, Are you going to, I guess, increase the vigilance or uh, 
enact some policies to help address this human trafficking thing better than uh, what's been going on in the past? Or? Absolutely. So I was a founding member of the Lawyers Club of San Diego Human Trafficking Task Force, and so we've been looking at different strategies to do that. Mm-hmm. The region's done, doing a pretty good job of coordinating amongst all the law enforcement agencies, but within mm-hmm. the city attorney's office, it's something that we haven't really focused on mm-hmm. uh, over the years, and it's something that we need to start training our, our prosecutors to start looking for so that we can s- start moving in the right direction. And How do we get some of these, these fat cats who are running this thing? And the, how do we bust up the organization and get some of these, uh, make examples out of some people? Well, a lot, you know, a lot of when you're building up these criminal uh, cases, you, you want to start at the low-level folks and get them to roll on to the higher-level yeah. folks and you start moving those up the ranks. And, and this is where the city attorney's office can actually you know, be useful, right? We, have, we come in on these domestic violence calls, on these uh, other low-level crime calls, and you maybe pick up some of these low-level folks that if you're acting in a coordinated fashion or along, um, among the region, you can actually sort of start rolling up these cases and do yeah. what you can. We need more vigilance by, uh, you know, they always say if you see something, say something. I mean, we need to maybe get a tip line or something on this stuff, too, uh, going. There, 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 is a, there is a regional tip line on that um, as of right now. But, again, yeah. it's, it's a matter of bringing the right resources to it. What a big thing we've been talking about is for a long time, the city attorney's office had some of the best training for its prosecutors, really, in the county and the state. Mm-hmm. That went by the wayside, again, sort of 12 years ago or so. And what we want to do is bring back this robust training program that, that they used to have where it was a six-week robust training program. You were you shadowed seasoned prosecutors, and you were able to sort of learn how to do your job better. Mm. Yeah, and one of the Great. challenges is nobody wants to talk about it in public. It doesn't really fit with the um, America's Finest City motto. But it's critically um, important that we do. Oh, it's absolutely critically yeah. important that it needs to be brought to light. Yep, and that's one of the roles. I mean, and that's one of the important roles of the city attorney. You're the, you're one of two citywide elected officials, and so you do have a voice, and you should be using it for important issues like this mm-hmm. to bring it to light. Absolutely. No, H- how about for seniors? Uh, I know one of our great sponsors heads up the SeniorSafeAndSound.org initiative here to help prevent financial el- elder abuse. Do you feel that? Um, that uh, uh, we can do a better job uh, in that area as well. Absolutely, and one of the one of the planks on my platform has been talking about the consumer and the environmental protection unit. This is a unit within the city attorney's office that actually is charged with protecting consumers, elder abuse, um, all con- consumers of all types. The issue is there are five attorneys out of 145 protecting ever, all the citizens of San Diego from both consumer fraud and the environment. And wow. so, so you can tell, you know, the sort of priority that it is in that office and the crazy yeah, and co- thing consumer fraud is huge yeah and the crazy thing is this this is a unit that could really pay for itself i mean this mm-hmm. is if you're bringing these cases correctly you can generate revenue for the office to sustain a a enforcement unit of consumer fraud so oh. that's something that we're definitely going to be putting some more resources in and then the homeless we i heard you i know that may not come entirely under your jurisdiction but you did discuss it at a recent public event and you had some very very good insight on that uh, you want to share so, so much of what we deal with the homeless is, is, is a, a lack of, of resources and planning on behalf of the city and the region. And, and you know, w- big thing that we did was we tr- started transitioning to housing first, and we got rid of all of these transitional housing units and all the shelters, but we didn't really have the money to do housing first. And so now we have a, a sort of increase in the homeless population in part because of that. The other thing is the city is under two federal court settlements, class action settlements, involving mm. our enforcement of our uh, move-along laws mm. and how we treat the homeless. And so the city attorney's office has a critical role in playing <coughs> in how you deal with um, how the city enforces its laws. Ultimately, you're not going to fine or jail your way out of homelessness. You need to have resources brought to bear so you can help these folks get over the drug addiction, um, some of the mental health issues, and that's how you're going to yeah, solve the mental. I mean, I mean, I see some of these people on the streets, and, uh, you know, they're screaming at, at, at the light posts, and I, I, I just don't know what you do with some of these people. Um, it's, it's sad. 
There's a, uh, there, there are definitely resources out there we're not taking full advantage of. At the county level, there's a lot of medical and psychological resources we're not really fully utilizing. And mm-hmm. then there's the, the most heartbreaking one is with veterans. Yeah. We have left you know, tens of millions of dollars on the table on, on how we can help veterans, particularly homeless veterans, and that's just inexcusable, right? That's just federal and state money that we're just ignoring. Yeah. I, yeah, I think when even when we had some of that stimulus money from uh, mm-hmm. came to the county, they they ignored it because I didn't. I guess they didn't want the strings attached to it or something or, or, or other. But the sad thing now, now, now the mayor just put these. Uh, he spent fifty-seven thousand dollars putting stones under the, this bridge where the homeless were sleeping, and um, I know the All Star Game is coming, and maybe he wants to beautify the city. And I see a lot of paving going well, on. If he wants to do that, get rid of the Padre. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, my point, my point is, he just scattered those homeless people all, all over the place. Didn't and, fix the problem, that's and, for sure. Yeah, all, and all, yeah. and I, saw, I saw them scattering the Sherman Heights and going north, and um, all, you know, it's sad. All we've been doing is moving them from place to place and not really solving the problem. We're solving, we're, we're addressing some of the aspects of, of the of what happens because of the of the homeless population, but we don't really deal with them. And then when we deal with them, goodness, we're not we're not treating them with dignity. At all, I mean, to, to put jagged rocks so they can't lay down on the, yeah. on the sidewalk is just. I mean, they're just going to move someplace and exactly. and, and uh, you know urinate in somebody's backyard rather. Yeah. But um, the point being now, so the city attorney, it, it, you know, you get this you you have this dynamic going on whether you you react to uh, to issues or you can get proactive, and I guess. There is a balance there, right? I mean, you can absolutely. You're not. I mean, you really shouldn't. Aside from on the on the law enforcement, on the prosecutorial side, you really shouldn't be a policymaker, right? You're the right. lawyer for the city, but that doesn't mean we can't be proactive about how we deal with things, right? And so, so the homeless, so the homeless population is an issue mm-hmm. that we can be proactive about. We we are under. We have a federal court jurisdiction under our our policies, and we could bring ideas to the federal court and to the plaintiffs' lawyers in that case on how we want to start solving the problem and bring them through that process instead. Mm. So you can be proactive about these types of issues and really give advice. I mean, again, the homeless thing is a good example because if I was the city attorney and they told me, we're going to cut funding here uh, and then we're going to move to this other model, but we don't have any plan or any good plan for how we transition to the to the new model, I would have been talking as a, as a from a Law enforcement from a risk management standpoint says you're going to have an increase in home in the homeless population and you're not going to have any resources to deal with it, mm-hmm. and it's important. That's what lawyer a good lawyer gives their client a heads up about about the problems that are coming down the pipe. Yeah, I mean, yeah. so much of what you do is risk mitigation. Yeah. Exactly. But speaking yeah. of problems, all right, I can't let you get out of here without talking about a stadium. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> is that a thing? Is that a thing we're talking about? The stadium. Now, um, and I know uh, you know you, you're you're all for increasing con- convention and convention business and hotel business. Uh, I mean, it's a big part of our economy, the tourism industry. However. Um, I'm not totally thrilled with having a, a new stadium downtown. I do think a, maybe a, the a sports arena downtown might make make more sense. But and, and of course the money and the financing and how much the city might be on the hook for. But all right, so what's your take on all this mess that's been flying around? So I, I've I've been careful on taking a, a formal position on either initiative, and the reason for that is that. I may be the lawyer that's dealing with one or both if they pass. And, right. and I can assure you that if, if one or both pass, we're going to be in litigation mm-hmm. and we're going to be dealing with lawsuits. However, the job of the city attorney is going to be to protect the taxpayers. And both of these initiatives have a lot of vague language in them mm-hmm. about where the money comes from, what the money is going to. I think the Chargers initiative is probably a bit more vague in terms of how much mm-hmm. um, city money actually goes into a stadium. But we're going to be there to protect the taxpayers at the end of the day because – Look, if you look at the studies that they did in the Atlantic about a year ago, they did an article, 
there isn't, uh, and they looked at every stadium deal over the last 30 years, and there isn't one where the, a city made out okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just have a history in the public sector of doing yeah, a horrible job. The, the public numbers don't lie. No, and, exactly. and the public's yeah. finally waking up. Yeah. So. And, and, and you, know, you know, if the public decides they want to spend money on a stadium, Mm-hmm. As long as they know that's what's going to happen, cool. But don't don't sell it to us mm-hmm. as an economic boon for the city because we mm-hmm. usually lose money on these types of yeah. things. But I think we have to wrap it right there, Gil Cabrera. Gil, really appreciate it. Good luck. Yeah, Thanks for having good me luck with the, uh, with the, the election. We'll be right back. We're going to talk with Barbara Bree next, so uh, come on back after these words. With the award-winning It's Your Money and Your Life. And now this is the time where Richard likes to thank our sponsors. Big thank you to our sponsors who are also award-winning. Couldn't do the show without UBS, Michael Carant and Drew Friedis. Big thank you to UBS. Our favorite CPAs on the planet. We got two of them. Signature Analytics, a great CFO service headed up by Jason Kruger, CPA. As well as Plato Ethics CPAs, Don Ethic and Paul Polito up in San Marcos. Joel Grushkin with Cost Segregation Initiatives, helping our real estate owners improve their cash flow. Also, Brenda Geiger, the Geiger Law Office, specializing in estate planning and asset protection. Brenda, of course, has a big continuing education seminar coming up here on June 1. Our favorite bank, California Republic Bank, with Sean Puckett and Lane Elliott, helping wealthy families and family offices from their UTC location. Also, Hub International, formerly known as Mars Maddox Insurance, Absolutely wonderful employee benefits firm. The LG Experience and the Lombardi Group helping wealth advisors make heroes out of CPAs to the CPA's very best clients. We also mentioned during the first part of the show Paul Hines, who heads up Hearthstone Private Wealth Management, as well as the Senior Safe and Sound.org initiative here in San Diego, helping to prevent financial elder abuse. Also, our newest sponsor, Nathan Watkins, with Worldwide Credit, an absolutely amazing mortgage broker. And last but not least, if all of this makes you hungry and thirsty, we have a couple of really great sponsors who help there too, right, Joe? Absolutely. We've got uh, Lestat's Coffee Houses. Uh, they've got a third location coming up soon on University Avenue, but they're open 24-7, 365, and they're originally in, uh, of course, in uh, Normal Heights and then University Heights. And also the Barry Good Food Foundation with uh, Michelle Lirac. And, of course, we had a great show with them last week about sustainable sustainability in meats. And, of course, we've got the Barry, the 7th Annual Barry Good Food Foundation dinner coming up. Very good night, I guess they call it, uh, June 7th. And we'll be there on site again at their beautiful spot. Yeah, Joe, if people want to find out more about our Barry Good, in fact, they're great sponsors. <laughs> How do they do that? Funny you should ask. You just get over to iymoney.com. There is a sponsor tab across the top of the page in the drop-down menu, and you can click on any one or all of them. All their personal information is there, contact information. I know they've all been working with Richard for many years with great success. Correct? In some cases, close to 30 years. Yeah. As far as the stats, folks, I've known them since uh, the first Super Bowl in San Diego in, in, the, in uh, Jan- uh, 1988. 88. January 88. Yep. Denver and Washington. Remember That's that? It. Washington won, and they destroyed that high. Doug high. Williams. They destroyed that high at Ilandi, and they to- the GM said they'll never have another NFL team stay at their hotel. Yeah. <laughs> but enough of that. Yeah, we. Hey, speaking of uh, destroying, someone is really ripping up the uh, the campaign trail here, and she's been at it a long, hard time. Actually, it's her second appearance on our show. Last time she was with her husband Neil Centuria, but uh, we have in studio running for the District One uh, City Council seat, Barbara Bree. Barbara, welcome back. 
Great. Thank you, Joe and Richard. Yeah, so 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 great to see you. You know, a lot of people don't know. I know you've got a great high-tech background, et cetera, uh, but um, we like to start off with a little bio just for the benefit of our listeners. So what can you tell us about uh, your childhood growing up schooled, how you found your way to San Diego? Great. What great way to start. Um, I grew up outside of Philadelphia. I've uh, my mom was my most important role model. When I was 13, my parents got divorced, and she went to work full-time at a job where she was paid less than the comparable men. There was nothing she could do about it. Uh, because of her, I believed I could succeed in the business world. She eventually became the first woman executive at a large Philadelphia agency. I earned an MBA at Harvard and uh, moved to California in 1976 to be a business writer at the Sacramento Bee. Hmm. Um, yeah, and the Bee sent me to a builders conference in San Francisco uh, where I met my first husband, and that's how I ended up in San Diego. He was a real estate developer here. Well, Harvard MBA graduated. What year was that? 1976. And I will bet you were one of two or three women, maybe? Uh, my class was about 12% women. Really? Which was double the percentage of the year before. Mm -hmm. How about that? Yeah. And uh, where'd you go undergrad? I didn't get that. I grew up outside of Philadelphia, and I went to the University of Pennsylvania. Wonderful. Where nice. Friend, our friend Bill Dirac went there. Yeah. Undergrad and the law school. So anyway, I did not know that. Um, anyway, that, that's great to know. So... Um, and then how'd you get down to San Diego? So I married my first husband, who was a real estate developer here, and we wanted to live in San Diego because he was working here, and it's a great place to raise a family. And um, I now have two daughters, uh, 34 and 31. I am also blessed to have a 19-month-old grandson, Colton, who lives here with his parents. Uh -huh. And uh, as you know, I've been an entrepreneur in the, in the tech world for right. the last 30 years. So when you got to San Diego, uh, tell us about your business background because that's kind of fascinating stuff. So my, my background in San Diego started, uh, I was a business writer for the LA Times, actually, initially. Mm -hmm. And in 1984, uh, well, 1983, my mother had moved out here from Philadelphia, and she got terminally ill with cancer of the pancreas. Mm. And I was able to, to take a leave of absence to be with her the last few months of her life. And when I went back to work, I realized I, I wanted more time at home with my then one daughter. I wanted to have a second child. I asked the L.A. Times if I could work part-time, and they said no. Mm. And this was a long time ago. This was 1983, and I said I quit. Mm -hmm. And it turned out to be one of the best decisions I've ever made. Mm. Uh, because of that, I ended up working for a neighbor, Buzz Woolley, who was a venture capitalist. Mm -hmm. And I worked part-time for him reviewing business plans, at the end of one year, he said, I'm retiring. <laughs> and he introduced me to the people who were starting the Connect program at mm -hmm. UCSD. Mm -hmm. uh, Connect was started in 1985 to help launch high-tech and biotech companies. Mm -hmm. There was a growing realization that our future economy depended on being able to commercialize these technologies. And we had brilliant scientists and engineers who were clueless about how to start a company. And I I spent 10 wonderful years at Connect, which was then at UCSD, mm -hmm. and uh, during that time, I got divorced. Um, sometimes things don't work out, mm -hmm. and uh, two years later, I ended up uh, being the co-founder of a software company. Now, how did you how did you venture into that one? And, and I know, well, let's say it's it's Pro Flowers. I got this. no, it was the uh, there was a software company oh, before software. there. Okay. Um, 
So, but when did Pro Flowers come after that? Yeah, so um, Neil Centuri is, you, is my husband, mm -hmm. and we met about a year after my first marriage ended, and we started a software company in 1995 called Atcom that pioneered the ability to get the internet in a public place on your, back then there were no iPhones, it was basically your laptop. Mm -hmm. And the company was successful, uh, we sold it in 1999, and prior to the sale, I joined uh, ProFlowers on day one as the VP of marketing in, it was April 98. Uh, there were five of us in a small <laughs> office in La Jolla. <laughs> it was a real startup. <laughs> we didn't have a website. We had, not, we had an idea that we could sell flowers direct from the grower to the consumer instead of using retail flower stores like mm -hmm. our major competitors, mm -hmm. FTD and 1-800-Flowers. We had a little bit of money, an idea, and I was there on day one uh, as one of the first five people. And, really and, the, and the business bloomed, right? I was going to say. <laughs> oh, yeah. that's a good one. <laughs> I was going there, Richard. Were you? Okay, well, I got there first. Well, it also blossomed. How about it that? It blossomed, okay. <laughs> it, it did. It did. It, it did over a number of years, and uh, it was a great experience. I was there for the first uh, four and a half years. And then after that, what? Uh, then I started working with Neil. Uh, we uh, have Blackbird Ventures. Uh, mm -hmm. We invest in early stage technology companies, but we're not passive investors. We're entrepreneurs. Mm -hmm. And our track record has been to do one, two, or at the most three at a time and be very involved with them. Neil usually serving as the CEO and uh, me helping with the, the marketing and other kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And then this passion to jump into politics, because uh, I know you, uh, you've probably been campaigning for this longer than, than the other candidates, which is a good, I mean, if you want to win, you have to, you know, prepare and give yourself some time and get your name out and hold events, et cetera. So uh, you made the decision about, what, a year and a half ago? Or? About two years ago. So actually, there is one candidate running against me who actually ran last time and lost, so he's actually been at it longer than I have. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I've always been involved in the community. I was the Bobby Sox team manager for my two daughters. I was president of the Children's Museum. I I was involved in politics, helping other people, raising... Tangentially. Yeah, mm -hmm. but never expected that I would run. And that changed at a family dinner a little over two years ago when I was talking with my two daughters. Um, we were, I was upset about things that were happening, had happened at City Hall. Mm -hmm. I was upset that our street uh, was being torn up again. This is our business street where our office is in La Jolla Shores. And that's my, that's my, the never-ending construction yeah. project. Yeah, <laughs> I know, but I was thinking, why? Why can't they do it right yeah. the first time? And, of course, we're going to get into the La Jolla Cove stench, which has really got me going. So we'll be back with Barbara Bree running for District 1 City Council right after this. Hang on. All right, we are back with change of life entrepreneur turned politician Barbara Bree running for D1 District 1 in the city here and we're going to talk about the La Jolla Cove stench. But, but, but first Joe but first, I got back from Hawaii and the first thing I saw was oh, that Barbara was endorsed by the Union Tribune absolutely. which I think is a big deal. Barbara is that is that a big deal? Yes, it's a big deal, and I'm very honored to have their endorsement. Yes. Under former ownership, let's just say that probably would not have happened. But, uh, you know, hopefully there are better days ahead. So, But anyway, the La Jolla Cove stench, it's been a nagging issue. It must bother you as well. Uh, I think it's kind of unfair to put it entirely on the city. Now, we're talking about folks, the not the harbor seals and the children's pool. We like the harbor seals. They're only there part of the year. 
We're talking about you go down to the cove uh, across from Brockton Villa, the the hundreds of several hundred pound sea lions and, of course, the birds. And, um, boy, you know, when I first came to San Diego, I, I stumbled onto La Jolla Village. I, it's, a, it's a lovely place. It's a, you know. And now it's speaking that, that well. Now it depends on which way the wind's blowing, yeah, you know, and how the weather is. But yeah. but Barbara, I, I honestly think we need a task force. And I've spoken to Ed Harris; he's running for mayor. I think he's willing to do this and get the you get every jurisdiction that's involved there, whether it's the state assembly, state senate, um, the county. No one's contacted Ron Roberts' office about this. You know, that's his district too, mm-hmm. and I and of course D one. But uh, would you be in favor of a task force to abate the La Jolla Cove stench? Yeah, first of all, I'd, I'd like to step back and say this, we're not trying to find the cure for cancer. This is something we can do. And I think what's a shame is that City Hall is, and government in general is often reactive instead of proactive. Mm-hmm. And I think it is time to get everyone around the table who's going to be involved with making a decision that can finally get rid of the stench. Mm-hmm. Um, first, I'd like to compliment the La Jolla Town Council, which spent a lot of time doing research on what other communities around the country uh, were doing when, when they had sea lion issues. And the La Jolla Town Council came up with a recommendation to install, um, I'll call them rotating, uh, stacks of rotating barrels. Mm-hmm. And apparently that is working its way through the regulatory process mm-hmm. right now. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's a good thing, and mm-hmm. that's what that's going to help. But I think it has reached a point where there's, um, uh, to use, a, there is poop everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> and it's on the beach, it's um, in the water, and yeah. uh, it's, you know, it's people can't a hel- swim. It's, it's, it's a, a health house. It's, it's a toxic a health issue. Yes. And, and, and uh, the former Mayor Filner, for, uh, for regardless of his other flaws, uh, he, did, he did start spraying the rocks with this microbial spray. I don't know the cost involved. Apparently, uh, someone told me he did take it down from a 10 to a 5, and uh, it was improving the the situation so maybe they could reinstate that with some pooled assets i'm thinking as well so they still are doing the spraying the spraying apparently only solves the bird poop Mm. not the sea lion Ah, poop okay and also you know the sea lions are encroaching so that people can't swim in the cove Mm. and that's that's not acceptable. And they're a danger. They're a hazard. People don't go up to those sea lion pups and try to pet them. Oh, you see it all the time. And, and, they want to go up and have their picture taken, I mean, petting a sea lion on the head. The, it's the going mom, to have your arm ripped off. The mom or pop is going to get after right. you, and you're going to, you know, and there's been some, I think there has been some people, have been some people injured down there. So Yeah, people don't know that they should stay away. Yeah. But hopefully we'll get this addressed. So what did you want to say some more about I'll this? I'll just say a little. So there is a committee called the La Jolla Parks and Beaches, which is a membership committee in La Jolla. And they've written a letter to um, the Parks and Rec Department with a few suggestions. And uh, one of their suggestions is to put a gate at the bottom near the water, at the, uh, near, the, near the bottom of the steps, mm. and to close it every night mm. to prevent the sea lions from coming up uh, and second, so they're coming up the stairways. Yes, now? that's the problem. They're oh encroaching. Gosh. Oh my gosh! And so, <laughs> the, when, a lot of times when the swimmers want to come up, there's a sea lion in the way. You gotta be kidding! And me. that's scary. Sea lions are so giant. Other, other community solutions have been this, uh, you know, blockading them a little bit. And yes, it has worked in other communities. Okay. All right. Good. So, okay. Barbara, when you walk around your district and talk to folks who live there, what are some of the issues on their mind? 
what I hear about, number one, is public safety. Crime is up. It, we have real data proving that. Uh, car thefts, home break-ins. I also hear a lot about traffic. Um, and mm -hmm. uh, I also hear about you know the importance of keeping our beaches and our beaches clean, uh, preserving our beautiful canyons and lagoons. I mean, and District the, One has, <coughs> is beautiful. And the street surfaces in, in and around La Jolla. Now, Richard mentioned La Jolla Shores, and even in La Jolla Village, this, the, you know, the, the cement streets are kind of uh, breaking up, uh, and they need to get addressed, I think, at some point, huh? Yes. Our mm -hmm. inf I mean, La Jolla is the oldest part of my district, mm -hmm. so our infrastructure is the oldest mm. in terms of both what you see on the surface and what's underneath. Mm. And that would be a priority for me if I get elected to the city council. Wonderful. When you get elected. Yeah. <laughs> Not yet. Got to speak positive. Let's give your website. It is barbarabree.com, and it is up and running, and it looks terrific. Great. Um, so, folks, it's Brie, B-R-Y. Pronounced like the cheese. It's pronounced <laughs> like the cheese. And um, in fairness to Gil Cabrera, who got out of here, I forgot to mention it. It's gilcabrera.com, so um, if you want to look up his website. But... Anyway, well, we all know Barbara would have to have a world-class website being uh, with her high-tech background, so there's plenty of good information there, plenty of good articles, a lot of great endorsements and supporters. Um, boy, too, few, too many to mention here, but uh, you got quite a few people. And, and UT's not the only um, paper, right? You've got a lot of other community papers that have backed you, right? No, or, um, no? they're the only uh, media organization really? that has endorsed me, but I'm honored to have the endorsement of Erwin Jacobs, the co-founder of Qualcomm, mm -hmm. J. Craig Venter, you know, who started one research institute and two companies in my district, one of which is Human Longevity, which mm -hmm. is going to change medicine for all of us mm -hmm. and just raised $220 million. Um, many small business owners like Brian Miller of Geppetto's Toy Stores um, and hundreds of you know people from I, all over my district. I see Nathan Fletcher on there, been a guest on this show. That's a good endorsement. So. But um, so um, you've been doing a ton of events. So, I mean, you, you started before. I mean, I mean, if you're really dedicated and want to win this thing, folks, you have to get out there. Now, what's been your um, greatest, I guess, revelation or uh, something that came to your mind that you, that you hadn't even thought about or considered? Did anything? Well, I think I'd like to step back and say I did start two years ago. And mm -hmm. um, we, we knew we would be outspent. One of my opponents has raised a lot more money and has some two independent expenditure committees uh, supporting him. And we've run a volunteer-driven grassroots effort. And I started knocking on doors last July. And, and the best part of being a candidate has actually been out there talking to voters one-on-one. I've met wonderful new people uh, that I hope will be, you know, friends for the rest of my life. You've had a lot of these coffee events, and uh, how many doors do you think you've, well, you've probably, you know, good thing is you've probably get healthy doing all this walking, right? <laughs> yes, I get to eat anything I want. <laughs> That's it. I get to have apple pie once a week. That's it. <laughs> but um, all these coffee events, uh, have you any idea how many doors you may have knocked on? Uh, we believe I've knocked on over 7,000 doors <laughs> myself. Oh, wow. And we've held, uh, I think, over 40 neighborhood coffees in mm -hmm. all parts of the district. But how many residents approximately in your district? I have about... A hundred and I think sixty to yeah, seventy thousand over one hundred and fifty. Yeah, seventy-seven thousand registered voters, okay. according to the latest data from the Registrar of Voters. Wow, that that is amazing. And of course, it's going to be a big turnout. We believe for June, right? You're thinking about sixty-six percent, something like that. Yeah, that's what the Registrar of Voters says. It's and almost like a final. Good. It's yeah. almost like a general. I mean, it's it's, pr it's pretty unbelievable. 
Anyway, we're in our last minute here. Barbara, anything uh, you want to just wrap up with before we uh, say ta-ta? I would just say if I'm elected, I would be the first high-tech entrepreneur on the city council. Um, my district is La Jolla University City, Carmel Valley, and all of UCSD. It's the heart of our innovation economy, mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. these are the industries that are creating the good jobs of the future, and we need them to succeed if we're going to have the tax base to pay for the quality of life we all love about San Diego. Well, we know you'll be totally dedicated and work hard, and you can't ask for more than that. So, um, And um, got a lot of good people behind Two you. Two weeks so. away. Good yeah. luck. It's going to be here sooner than later. Yeah. So we're in our home stretch here. Barbara Bree, thank you so much. Good luck thanks, with the Barbara. election. Richard Musio, great seeing you. Justin Hart, our board operator, make, thanks for making it sound terrific. And thanks to Craig Blanke, our con executive, and our program genius here, Dave Sniff at KFMB. All these podcasts are commercial-free on iWaymoney.com, and we will see you next week. Bye-bye now.